The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Lex Talk More Action podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and should not be construed as advice, nor do they necessarily reflect the views of Community Action Council's governing bodies, leadership, or staff, or our funding partners. Community Action Council is a private, nonprofit, and nonpartisan organization. We do not support or endorse any political candidates. <laughs> This the city's number one podcast. Love the topics, the guests, and all of the contrast. They ain't focused on the views and the traffic. What's the point of shining if no jewels for the masses? We gotta spread the news of our passion. Service is a verb, now that's community action. Yo, everybody, let's talk. Nothing talking ain't enough, so everybody, let's walk. We all want freedom, the eagle and the stars. But the only way to reach it, meet the people where they are. Unity's the only way to fend these atrocities. You and me together can eliminate poverty. And this is just a vessel of expression to make sure we stay on the message of progression. Yes, everybody, let's talk. Bring your ideas and together we walk. Protect our seeds from the poisonous root and we gotta reach the source and the soul and the root. Yes, everybody, let's talk. We need community action. Together we walk. Together we work this to reduce violence. Speak through the airways. We refuse violence. Let's talk. You are listening to Let's Talk. More action. I am Cameron Minter. I am your co-host, and our host, our number one host, is Sharon Price. Hello, Sharon. How are you doing today? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Excited about today's show. Oh yes, yes. We got we got some uh, good talking to do. Yes, we do. So, (laughs) as you know, this is National Child Abuse Prevention um, Awareness Month, Mm -hmm. and so. With that, do you know how to identify child abuse? Would you know, you what? know what you're looking for. It's, it's it's funny you mention that. Gwen used to um, work with a doctor that initiated some um, protocol for doctors uh, to recognize um, child abuse in Kentucky, and I think it was care. I can't remember what it was, but anyway. She had, you know, you know, my wife, she she holds no punches. So she's, you know, very visual, very, you know, upfront, very, you know, and even uh, learning where to look like behind the ears. You know, I, I never thought of that, but that's how some abuse is hidden. And yeah, I, I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, some <laughs> crash courses on it and just, you know, being able to recognize behavior changes and recognizing um you know even when you don't see physical changes being able to identify it in behaviors right and and that's that's something that that um we always try to get to the root right so if a child is acting out yeah the child just just may be bad (laughs) maybe bad no 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 i reject that (laughs) that a a child being bad but there is there is a Calls to what they're responding Absolutely. to. Absolutely. And, you know, trying to figure out, we was talking earlier about, you know, trying to figure out, oh, that's not what you're mad about. This is what you're mad about, right? right. What are you really mad <laughs> right, about? Right, right. Yeah. So what about you? Well, I've had a little bit of experience because I've been in child development yes. my, my whole career. Mm-hmm. And so the things, the the visual things that, that, that you can look at a child and see, mm-hmm. you know, bruises, a broken right. limb, you know, because children of a certain age should not have broken bones. Right. How, wh- what's going on here? You know, but what always gets me mm-hmm. is the things that you can't see right. and trying to uh, unwrap that, 
you know, because there are, are a lot of different ways that a child or anybody can be abused that doesn't leave a physical, absolutely, you know, impact on it. And even that verbal is, is abuse, right? Verbal abuse, uh, uh, mental abuse. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of different things. But I, you know, I'm glad we got some people on the show today to talk about, you know, some of the things. Uh, it's horrific that uh, what some of some of our children are going through silently mm-hmm. and uh it's you know uh just being able to have some awareness put on it i mean I, i'm i'm well, ready for the show but i mean it's heartbreaking but as heartbreaking as it is and as heartbreaking as you know um, dealing with these things are they have to be dealt with we have to let folks know that there are people out there that will really you know do damage and, and absolutely but also, Cam, I'm really happy about the show today because we bring support to our youngest victims. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, that I'm really happy about. So Absolutely. with no other, no further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Ben Kleppinger. He is from CASA. Welcome. Hi. Great to be here. And we also have Kamisha Powell. She is a CASA volunteer. Hi. Nice to be here. And so, Ben, tell us about CASA. What is CASA? Sure. CASA stands for Court of appointed special advocates um so it's it's not where you go for mexican food it's actually a <laughs> non-profit that uh, <laughs> we uh recruit train and supervise uh community volunteers who give about five to ten hours a month uh to be matched with children in the family court system who have been abused or neglected and those volunteers visit with the children every month they also talk to adults involved in the child's life and they can review medical and educational records. They do all this to bring a report back to the judge on the case that gives that judge a lot more information than they would otherwise have and helps them make more informed decisions, get more services for these kids, hopefully uh, limit the amount of times they're moving while they're in care and get them back into safe permanent homes as quickly as possible. And so that's that's a big deal, um, having that support for um, the children, and, and also absolutely. for the families. Yeah, absolutely. Think? And, well, one of the CASA volunteers, the first goal every CASA volunteer has is if it's safe to do, we want to reunify these kids with their families. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times um, what what CASA volunteers are looking for are resources in the community that help the parents of these children uh, create a safe home that can be permanent um, because it's always in the best interest of the child to be with their biological parents whenever safely possible. And so as a volunteer, Kamisha, when, how do you approach um, a family? I know that you're appointed, but how do you approach a family where they're willing to see you and hear you? Yeah, well, first we have home visits, and what we do is we'll go on those home visits with one of our volunteer managers, and usually that volunteer manager is familiar already with the case, with the family, they'll provide introduction, and then you'll sit and just observe and get to know them prior to going in and seeing what that family needs and how to help them. You just get to know them and build a rapport, a relationship with them first. And I think that's very important because, for example, on one of the very first cases I had, if it wasn't for that introductory <coughs> meeting, I wouldn't have been able to know that there were other children in the household that needed help as well. Oh, wow. And so how many cases of 
how many appointments do you guys make a year? Sure. Well, so last year in 2022, we had 290 active CASA volunteers. And over the course of the year, those volunteers served 671 children. And that's across our seven-county region. Um, And that's just a fraction of the actual total of child abuse and child neglect cases in the region. Um, Last year... There were almost 1,600 in our service area, almost 900 in Fayette County alone, uh, new children who were abused or neglected. And those are only the cases that um, actually went into the court and got substantiated. Um, so that's that's the so low end. It's that, that's the low end. That is yeah. not the number that aren't reported, Correct. you know, um, and, unfor- and don't make it to the court system. That's, that's right. And unfortunately, there's probably a lot of those cases that are going unreported right now. Um, Fayette County used to have close to 1,200 cases a year, and now it's under 900, but we don't think that's because um, the cases are going away. Um, Ever since the pandemic hit, the numbers of reports have dropped, but we know that what the pandemic does to people creates a lot of extra stress that should be creating more abuse, unfortunately, not less. So what do we think the reason behind all of this abuse of children is? Um, there's, like you were saying before, there's always a reason for what's going on and what's, what's the real reason. Um, poverty creates a lot of stress on people and, um, unfortunately substance abuse also creates a lot of the kinds of stressors that lead to child abuse and neglect. Um, you know, the majority of cases that we deal with are neglect cases. Um, abuse is a smaller percentage. Neglect is when a child isn't getting what they need to thrive. They're not getting the shelter they need. They're not getting the education they need. They're not getting food, uh, those kinds of things. And when you are living in poverty, it's harder to provide those things. So one of the best things we can do uh, during Child Abuse Prevention Month to help actually prevent child abuse is to think about ways that we can support these families and eliminate that stress that raises the risk of abuse and neglect. I would would think that working with you all will create um, maybe a culture shock for people who want to volunteer. What do you, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Because just really getting into what's going on and how they're standing, is is there some type of special training that you all do? Uh, Is there some kind of way that you kind of say, all right, here we go. I'm going to pull the veil back. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Well, being a cost volunteer is very different from your, average volunteer position. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a serious commitment. Uh, it's that five to 10 hours a month. And we ask every volunteer to volunteer for at least two years. And that's so that they can see a case through until it closes. So that the child has a consistent volunteer the whole time. Uh, so that's a much larger commitment than if you're going down to the animal shelter and walking dogs, right? Right. Um, it also comes with training on the front end. You have to go through a 30 hour training and taken an oath of confidentiality from a family court judge before you can be assigned to a case. Um, so that training is uh, a large requirement. It's 30 hours. It takes um, some effort to get through that, but it also really prepares you for the work. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I, mean, I, I can't imagine saying, oh, yeah, I want to volunteer, and then be like, oh, yeah. no, not this. But just because of, of the, the, the topic, the, the subject matter, it's, it's children that, that are vulnerable. Um, that's that's just an, an important aspect to make sure yeah. that 
We have somebody representing. Yep, and we have lots of information for people interested in becoming volunteers so that they can kind of get a sense of how the CASA program works and what they'd be doing. And then um, pretty much every single training class, we have one or two people who start it to see could they really do it, and then by the end they know that they this right. isn't the right fit right. for them. And maybe they can support us in other ways by being friends of CASA or things like that, but that it's not right for them. But um, the, the, the cool thing about being a CASA volunteer is – um, it is that commitment, but it's also totally doable. Right. Most of our volunteers still work full time. That five to 10 hours a month, that isn't, you know, overwhelming. Right. It's just five to 10 hours a month. And a lot of that's done on your own time. The only thing really that's set in stone is core hearings, which happen every three months or so. And that training, I can speak to that. That training does prepare you. I think there's a social emotional component that they give to you to let you know the types of examples of cases that you will face. And CASA does give you the opportunity to say, oh, I'm not comfortable with this particular demographic, whether that be young children. So me having an infant at home, I'm not comfortable with being a CASA for an infant case of abuse because I immediately take my mind to my own daughter. So you're able to be able to pick and choose where you want to serve. And Kamisha, what made you want, what happened that drew you in to want to be a CASA volunteer? Yes. So I taught pre-K and I taught kindergarten for about eight years in total. And one of the parents in my classroom, she was a CASA at the time, and she told me that she thought I would be really good for it because I had a heart for children, and I do. I really take on the children in my case and try to advocate for them as if they're my own children, and it's very heartwarming. It's also sad to see the situations here in Lexington that kids are going through, but in being a CASA, you are that child's constant, so where they may have several social workers throughout their entire case and they may go to five to ten homes so they see different people all the time they know that you're the one person that they'll see at all times in a couple of cases that I was on that one of the children who was moved in different placements knew that they could look forward to seeing me and so I loved being that for that child Wow. And, you know, it's it's really good to be in good company today. Um, of course, I work very closely with Kamisha, so I'm always proud of everything that she does. You know, but to know that we have people, just everyday ordinary people that are out there doing the good work and helping people um, and kiddos especially to be comfortable and to be able to get past that that level of abuse and, and you know, go on and, and move forward. That's That's kind of heartwarming to me. We're going to take a break. You are listening to Let's Talk More Action. This past year has highlighted the strength of Community Action Council. Every day, our staff works together to help families recover from this crisis. We're educating children at home and in person, helping parents who lost their jobs, and helping households avoid eviction. Our work at Community Action Council has never been more important than it is right now. So why don't you join us? We have employment opportunities requiring a range of skills from entry level to advanced. Apply online at commaction.org. That's commaction.org. Children love Head Start, and you will too. Community Action Council's Prep Academies are hiring now. 
Head Start is an early childhood education program for children from birth to age five. Help us give more children the Head Start advantage. Patron, what are you waiting for? Join our team of dedicated education professionals. Apply online today at comaction.org. What are you waiting for? It's Child Abuse Prevention Awareness Month, and I'm with Ben Kleffinger. Did I got get it? Got it. Got it. <laughs> and Kavisha Powell talking about CASA and the great work that CASA does. Before we went to the break, we were, you know, talking about some of the things that um, cause where you see higher levels of child abuse, and one of those was poverty. And so, my question to you all today is: How do understanding that poverty is, is an issue and <clears throat> and is kind of um, based in a lot of things that happen with families and in the community. How do we keep from criminalizing those that are in poverty? I think you have to um, be able to put yourself in the shoes of other people and put yourself in the shoes of people who are living in poverty and realize that they're not there by their own choice and that there are enormous obstacles to getting out of it and kind of empathize with their situation and understand that they're people just like you. And that's where everything kind of starts from because if you if you want to make a change, a positive change for those people, uh, you have to realize that you're kind of, you're, you're one of them. Um, if, if you view them as others, you're going to try to treat them as others instead of treating them as one of, one of your family. And then mine's experience in the family courts, I have seen in specific judges and prosecutors both try to work with those families. They will build case plans with those families. So instead of sending mom or dad to jail, what they will do is try to send them to either a treatment facility for a little bit until they're able to work out something and get their kids back. I've also seen instances where they provide referrals to different things that's needed. So let's say a mother wasn't able to keep up on shots with her child or um, things that the child may need to go to school, what we'll do is we will refer them to different agencies. And I know that I've referred children to our Head Start program at Community Action where the children are able to have dental screenings and things such as that. And so those type of situations and referrals will help the mom to get on their feet or the dad to get on their feet to where they're able to be able to not have to come back to court in those situations. And I think that that decriminalizes them as parents as well. And we have CASA volunteers who have helped families get the things they need to kind of stay out of that situation. Um, for example, um, we had a CASA volunteer who, uh, that on their case, uh, the parents didn't have the children because they didn't have anywhere for the children to, to sleep. And the CASA volunteer worked through the community resources they were aware of to help get beds for those children so that those children had a place to sleep with their parents. Um, things like that that are helping support the family, get them over the obstacles that might seem small to, to, uh, to us but are large to people living in poverty. And I'm glad that you brought up the Head Start program because I think that that's one of our 
largest vehicles to helping people get out of poverty because we we uh, we provide that Monday through Friday stability for what that so that children need routines and they need to know what it is that they can expect from day to day. And so having um, a reliable, they know every day that they're going to go to school. They know that their teachers are going to be here. They're going to be working on kindergarten readiness and all of those things and the important developmental screening so that we can work with the families, you know, to make sure that they know whether their children are on track or need additional services and, and things like that. So I think that, that I think that that's a big deal. And not only that, but when I referred my children to the Head Start program, those children were helped, but not only were those children helped, the parents were helped. So even mom and dad were able to come in on a couple of programs that were family engagement involved. They were able to get involved and get the help that they needed and the resources that they needed. So it wasn't just child focused. Well, and that's the biggest part of what Head Start is, is that two generational, you know, you want to work with children, yes, but if you don't work with the whole family, you're going to kind of be spending your wheels. And so the two generational approach you know, with Head Start and children and families coming in and receiving those services is a big deal. So community resources um, are a major thing when it comes to CASA and the CASA volunteers and the work that you all do. Yes, and if I feel like if it wasn't for certain CASAs that those families wouldn't be able to have access to that. For instance, they may not see their social worker, but maybe once a month, something like that. And so their social worker may not give those resources for Head Start or other things, but that CASA being there, that's why it's so important because, number one, that can decriminalize that parent, and number two, that makes that connection for the child. And that's not really the social worker's fault either. Um, They're massively overworked and understaffed. They have two or three times the caseloads they're supposed to have. They don't have the time to give to individual children like CASA volunteers do. That's right, because they're doing five, CASA is doing five to ten hours a month. And usually on one case. On one case. And so you guys, my favorite CASA volunteer, I'm not sure if she's a volunteer or if she's employed, but Matilda is my favorite (laughs) um, volunteer. I got to see her down at the city council about a month ago. I think she's everybody's favorite. And so tell us about (laughs) Matilda so everybody knows. Matilda is a um, a golden retriever lab um, who uh, went through two years of training from from birth to become a certified courthouse facility dog. And she's actually the only certified courthouse facility dog in the state of Kentucky. Mm. And so we uh, allow her to go uh, wherever she's needed in the state, not just to CASA programs. Um, But what she can do, her superpower is... She goes into court with children who have to testify. Um, unfortunately, uh, in Kentucky, if you want someone who's perpetrated um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, to face uh, <coughs> time in jail for that, the victim has to testify in court. Mm-hmm. That can be extremely hard and uh, re-traumatize these young children who have been through this trauma already. Uh, Matilda goes in with them. She can sit and stay for up to four hours without a further command. She just puts her head in their lap. They can snuggle her. They can pet her. They can do whatever they need to to stay calm, and it helps them get through that. Matilda also goes on home visits uh, with children who, it's amazing. She walks in, and they just light up, and they start talking. 
uh, it really gets them to open up and talk with the CASA volunteers when Matilda goes on a home visit. Well, I saw when Matilda was walking around <clears throat> city council, everybody's faces started lighting up as she, yeah. you know, approached them and came, got closer to them. Yep. So I, I would definitely think that Matilda would be um, a big part of comfort, you know, for those kids. She is. Um, when the pandemic started, um, she, uh, the kids couldn't have in-person visits anymore. And Matilda would always come visit this one little boy. And so to, to give him his Matilda fix, they set up a Zoom to get Matilda on Zoom <laughs> so he could see Matilda. And Matilda's handler, Liz, was ju just off the screen. And when she, she put Matilda in front of the camera, so when the screen popped up, the little boy would see Matilda. And when the Zoom started, Liz said, hi, hello. And the little boy said, Matilda can talk too? <laughs> <laughs> the innocence of children, you just got to love it. Anything to bring some joy in, oh, in, in a rough situation. Oh, you know? for sure. And look, I have mentioned the city council a couple of times. Kamisha, would you please tell me why I was there? Well, Because sure. I'm going to force you to. <laughs> to support me as I earned the President Service Award from President Joe Biden. For Yay! the second time. For the second Yay! time. Yay! <laughs> and what that is, is pretty much the hours dedicated to the specific work and volunteer work that you do in the community. So in this case, it would be the hours that I devoted to the children on the cases that I've served on. And so they were recognizing a whole, all of the folks that had received that award. And uh, that it was, I was impressed because that was a lot of volunteerism, you know, all in one place when they started talking about how many hours everybody had um, volunteered. Yep, we had 67 earn it this year. That's our most ever. And every, every volunteer who earned it volunteered at least 100 hours. Um, and then silver and gold uh, recipients volunteered at 250 or 500 hours or more. And uh, we had, <coughs> I believe, uh, three gold who volunteered for more than 500 hours in a single year. Um, I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by that. So, Ben, if someone wants to be a CASA volunteer, what do they need to do? Well, we have our application on the website. The first step is applying. Uh, so you fill out that information. And once you get that back to us, we send you background check forms and we schedule an initial interview. At that initial interview, we'll get you into one of our upcoming training classes. Our next one right now is at the end of June. It's the last full week in June. It's actually our summer intensive training. So we fit all 30 hours into a single week. It's Monday through Thursday, 9 to 4, and then 9 to noon on Friday. And that gets you all 30 hours of your training in a single week. It's great for teachers because it's during the summer. Um, once you complete the training, uh, we will swear you in with family court judge. And uh, we'll also work to find out your case preferences like Kamisha was talking about as far as types of children you're interested in advocating for. And then we will look uh, for cases in the family court system that match with your preferences and find a child that we believe you can advocate strongly for. At, at that point, you can say yes or no to the case. So CASA volunteers can always uh, say, yes, I want to take that case, or no, that's not quite right for me, and it's fine. We just go look for another case. What's your website? CASAoflexington.org. And so you guys are always looking for um, new volunteers to help support, you know, everybody in the community to make sure you have enough, right? We are, absolutely. We only, only serve about one in five children in the family court system right now. 
Um, we'd love to serve all of them. That'll take a lot more volunteers. And so just to put you on the spot before we go, what are some things, because everybody um, should be reporters, you know. Everybody is a mandatory reporter Reporter. by Kentucky law, yes. And so what happens if you don't report and you know that child abuse is going on? You could get arrested yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That, that's a good question. I've never been asked that one before, just just what to look for. Um, but really, um, there's a Kentucky has a child abuse reporting hotline, and um, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have gone through training to call that hotline. If you see something where it seems like the child may be abused or neglected, you can call it in, and someone who is an expert who has been trained can start an investigation. And every year there are many, many more um allegations of child abuse and neglect than there are substantiations. So you're not doing anything wrong by calling that hotline. You're doing the right thing by calling that hotline. And so just trying to make sure that that the kids are protected. You know, what are some of the things that that if you are a layperson and you're you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, I see this in this child, is that child abuse and neglect? What are some of the things to look for? Um You'd be looking for um, children who <clears throat> have um, bruising that's like on their on their torso or not on their extremities, like knees and elbows. Just uh, kids fall all the time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, any bruising at all on children who can't walk yet is a big red flag. Um, it doesn't guarantee that there has been child abuse, but it is a very large red flag. And you sh- also just um, the behavior of the child. If the child is is um, trying to avoid uh, an adult or uh, behaving in a way that a child shouldn't really behave in, that could be a red flag. Keep your eyes and your ears open is what I'm hearing. You know, Absolutely. And teachers are one of our biggest reporters of child abuse and neglect. Yeah, because teachers are with the kids every single yep. day except the weekends. Any last words from either of you guys? I would just implore everyone to check CASA out. We do need volunteers. These children need volunteers, and these children need just an extra set of eyes in their lives. Thank you so much for having us. We uh, we love being here. And next time we got to bring Matilda in if she's not if she's not <laughs> oh, working great. off location. Put her on got, a mic. Yeah, she could breathe or do something. I'm sure she or, can speak. Didn't you hear the story? I know. <laughs> We're gonna have to give her a microphone and maybe let her put her head in my lap. I would oh, love it. Wow. You have been listening to Let's Talk More Action. We thank our guests for being here today. Thank Keep you. listening, sharing, and letting folks know.